If you are a female and you are living in the modern world, you likely deal with some form of anxiety and or stress and or sleep issues on a semi-regular basis like me. And one of the things that's not talked about often that can help support stress and anxiety is magnesium. Many people understand that magnesium helps sleep, but the body actually needs magnesium for so much more than that because it's involved in 80% of the body's metabolic reactions and about 75% of people are not getting enough magnesium, especially women, because stress burns up magnesium. One critical thing you can do today to support your adrenals, hormones, and mental health is to take a compound magnesium supplement like Magnesium Breakthrough. Stress and anxiety deplete your magnesium levels. Low magnesium levels can contribute to more anxiety it's a vicious cycle. So by supplementing with Magnesium Breakthrough, you can break that cycle because you'll be getting seven unique forms of organic full-spectrum magnesium for stress relief and better sleep. I've been taking two every night before bed for the last couple of years, and it's one of the only nutrients that I'm like, this is, this has to happen daily. And there's a new and improved formula with Magnesium Breakthrough, so they're making it more absorbable, which I really appreciate because they want to make sure we're getting our magnesium and we need it. Uh, for our exclusive offer, go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed10. You will also save if you buy in bulk, which we do. And I just went ahead and added a subscription because I keep running out and I know that I'm going to be taking two every night. I know my husband is too. So we buy the bulk option. I just went ahead and did a subscription every three months, which gave us an additional discount on top of that. So that's nice. Again, our link is Mag Breakthrough. So it's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash wellfed. Our coupon code for 10% off is WellFed10. You are now listening to WellFed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello and welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. This is episode number 377. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a National Strength and Conditioning Association certified personal trainer. I'm also the co-author of Coconuts and Kettlebells, a personalized four-week food and fitness plan for long-term health, happiness, and freedom. For many women, the journey to letting go of restrictions and rules and diet culture and hating your body, it's a long and winding road. It's not easy, especially as we go through new seasons or changes with our body and our health, which is normal. Fluctuations are normal. Most of you in this community understand now that your worth is not tied to your weight, and you can be healthy at a variety of weights. And diets, they they just don't work, and rules and restrictions aren't necessary for health. Perfection is not required. However, there's an interesting gray area we inhabit with that. So, Embracing food freedom and letting go of dieting is fantastic, but what about all that we know about food and how it impacts our health? What about nutrient density and minerals and blood sugar regulation? What if you want to change something about your body? Is that bad or or wrong? Are you participating in diet culture if you want weight loss? What if you have a food intolerance? How do you navigate food freedom while also having to restrict certain foods because, you know, they don't work well for you? So this is all very complicated. And today I'm thrilled to have Alicia Connors on the show, who has made finding peace with food and exercise her life's work. We're going to dive into some of these more complex topics and gray areas and really just try to unpack it all. Alicia is a certified health coach. She's a registered massage therapist and a dark chocolate enthusiast, which is my kind of girl. In her health coaching practice, she supports women in having a more sustainable and enjoyable relationship with food freedom and their bodies. 
She organically landed in this niche from her own past experiences with using exercise and food to seek control and safety. Alicia has actually competed in the CrossFit Games three times, but now she enjoys lifting weights and walking. You can find Alicia at the gym, getting stronger, going to comedy shows, trying new coffee shops, and spending time with her fiancé in Vancouver. Welcome, Alicia, to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. This is such a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I've been following you on Instagram. I don't even know how or when, but I love everything that you share. And in particular, I feel like you do a really great job of educating and touching on a topic that is very complicated and it's hard to navigate. And that is trying to understand, okay, I understand these principles about food freedom. I understand that dieting is not the answer. I understand my worth isn't in my weight and and the scale is not, you know, tied to my health. But how do I actually implement that into everyday life, especially if I want my body to like I want to feel good and be healthy and is it okay to like choose the healthier option or is that not having food for like what does it look like to implement food freedom into an everyday life so um I'm really Mm -hmm. excited to talk about all of the complicated intricacies of that topic before we do talk to me about maybe the first time you remember feeling unhappy with your body and what shaped your relationship with your body throughout, you know, your formative years to get you to this point? Yeah, so I can vividly remember when I was 14, so very young, had these really good intentions of cutting out sugar. And I think it was paired with wanting to feel some sense of safety and control in my life with also that added pressure put on women and young girls to look a certain way and to shrink their body. And that very quickly uh, morphed into full-blown anorexia and then bulimia and extreme exercise. Um, And so it was an interesting time in my life being so young um, and kind of being the only one in my friend group that that I knew that was outwardly really struggling with this stuff. But a lot of, I think, the issues that I had with food and exercise really stemmed from feeling this pressure to look a certain way. And I think that to, you know, when we want to look a certain way, I think there's something so much deeper there, whether it's to be lovable, to be accepted, to be desirable, and then also to feel this sense of safety and control. So yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of where my journey started. And then it morphed into a lot of um, other iterations of disordered eating, extreme exercise, finding CrossFit, um, you know, going down the route of strict paleo, Whole30, the zone diet, Mm -hmm. reading Mark's Daily Apple like it was my religion. And all throughout that time, I competed in CrossFit, like I've been to the games three times and uh, still was really, really struggling with my self esteem and feeling secure in my body. Um, And I think it's at least now, a lot more people talk about this stuff. But I think back then, it was still very taboo to talk about an eating disorder or disordered eating or, hey, maybe like there is an option to not diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of what led me into the work I do now with women. And I think so often, so many of us really do turn like our past or history or whatever, and what we've learned into something and how to kind of give back to other people and to maybe be like, hey, like there is this other way um, that isn't what you been told or learned. Many women, it's interesting that you got into CrossFit and this like more performance based, you know, idea around your body and all that. Like, I think a lot of women who have struggled with disordered eating, whether it's orexia or an eating disorder, orthorexia or um, an eating Mm -hmm. disorder, you know, more like anorexia, uh, stuff like that that you've dealt with. It's interesting. (laughs) It's when you start to kind of shift into that performance-based mindset, it's the same issues are kind of still there. I don't know if that was your experience, but instead of now trying to hyper-control food, a lot of women then move to, I'm going to hyper-control like my performance and like stay really, try to focus on that. Or I now really want to like exert control and 
need to, I need to be a perfectionist like in my work, you know, and anything that I produce. Have you noticed that with yourself at all as you're kind of been going through your healing journey? 100%. Like you nailed nailed it on the head. And I think it it totally morphed into this um obsession with exercise in like a new way where it was almost acceptable for me to be at the gym for 2 to 3 hours because I was training for a sport and performance mm-hmm. and to a certain degree that is true and I was also really struggling still with body image and my relationship with food and my relationship with exercise so it was this tough thing to navigate where it was really praised and accepted and um I felt really validated for what I was doing when internally I was still really struggling um and it's a tricky thing uh, to navigate because you, you know, like training for just health, um, which is a wonderful thing does look different than training for a sport. Like you do show up and push your body through injuries. Um, but when you are somebody who I think who's come from a background of really struggling with eating and exercise, it's a tough thing because you're like, well, I'm getting this praise and I'm doing well. So isn't this good? Uh, but you know, hindsight's 2020. And when I look back, I was really just using, um, this the sport of CrossFit and that whole environment, which can be really positive to kind of just use it as an excuse to really um, almost abuse my body with exercise and cutting up foods and counting macros like uh, it was like my full time job. Hmm. Yeah. What was the turning point for you? Like now mm-hmm. you can look back on that and see, you know, like you said, hindsight is twenty twenty. But what what was that turning point for you where you were like, I, I need to move forward with improving my relationship with my body and exercise and food and all the things like, I mean, I, I obviously know it's a slower process and it takes time, which we're going to talk mm-hmm. about today more yeah. in depth. But was there a point for you where you're like, I can't do this anymore? Yeah, there was. It was in 2015. That was the last year I competed in CrossFit at the games. And it was also this interesting time where I met my now fiance, then boyfriend, and he was not really deep into the competitive side of CrossFit. So I was like, wow, he has this life outside of CrossFit where <laughs> he, he doesn't spend all of his days at the gym. He goes out for dinner. Um, he travels not just to a CrossFit event. And he, it was kind of like, I think it was really coming to an end where I was like, geez, like what I'm doing really isn't working. I just feel very stuck. I'm constantly in this cycle of restrict, overeat, um, overeat, overexercise. And I, and I'm just not feeling good. And I think all those things compounding. And then also, I don't know, serendipitously, like meeting my now fiance where I was like, oh, wow, he's exposing me to like these other things, which felt kind of scary, but also it was such a blessing. And I just think those things combined, I was like, okay, I need to start introducing foods that I really like that I'm not just eating on my cheat day, which ended up being this glorified binge day. Mm. And I really started to build trust in my body. And at first that was difficult and it's like navigating these new waters. But eventually I start, I started to build trust and I started to lead this internally based way of eating and moving. And I also gave myself permission to explore other types of movement. Like I went to a bar class. I went to a spin class. I started doing yoga and I was like, Oh, I could go for a walk instead of going to the gym. And it was like this whole new world opened up where I just gave myself permission to do things differently. And every day looked a little different, but eventually you kind of find your groove. Yeah. I love that. I want to discuss the idea of balancing food freedom with Mm. intentionally choosing nutrient-dense or quote-unquote healthy foods. Because once you've been in this dieting and fitness space for a long time, you do learn a lot about food and how food impacts you. However, you know, with diet culture, it's always taken to an extreme and it's always about what is your motivation and the motivation that society tells us is we need to be smaller. So sometimes Mm -hmm. what we learn about food is, oh, this is this has fewer calories. So this is the better food. But there has also been this, I think, and you've been such a, a big part of it. And so have I, which is like understanding how like the I, this concept of nutrient density and whole foods and understanding like 
yeah, when you support your body with proper fuel, like you, it's going to function better. And so yes. how do we as women integrate these principles of food freedom and, it, you know, eating intuitively? That is trying to figure out what our body needs and going for that as opposed to following this, you know, strict regimen. How do we integrate these ideas and is it even possible? Is it the quote unquote right thing to do while also consciously choosing nutrient dense foods or, you know, picking foods that are, yeah. oh, I need these micronutrients? Like, is that possible? And how do we navigate that? Yeah, I think it's absolutely possible. And I think that for so long, our society has tied diets to health. And I think it takes time to kind of separate that and unpack that and understand that you can be healthy and you can pursue health. And it doesn't have to be rigid or extreme or unsustainable. And so the lens that I tend to filter, you know, my choices through and my behaviors through and what I really work on with clients are three key components. So the first one is, is this sustainable? Can I do this for a long time? So if we're cutting out food groups and cutting out sugar, it's like, can I do this forever? And if the answer is no, then what are some shifts I can make in order to, you know, still want to, you know, in quotes, like be healthy or feel healthy. And that's great and wonderful. But also, so it doesn't take me down that route of dieting and tying morality to food that we then internalize onto ourselves. So is it sustainable? That's one kind of filter. The second one is, is it flexible? So for example, if you're like, I want to have green smoothies in the morning because I really like it. It makes me feel good. It's convenient. Awesome. So let's say Thursday morning comes along and you are just craving a bagel with peanut butter and honey and maybe a side of eggs. Do you let yourself do that? Or are you thinking, nope, I have to stick to my green smoothies because I think this is working. This is what I have to do. This is what I should do. So it's important to have that flexibility in there to you know, want the green smoothie sometimes, and then also being okay with having something else. So flexibility is the second piece that's really important. And then the third piece is enjoyable or pleasure. I kind of use those words interchangeably, but is what I'm eating enjoyable? Is it bringing me pleasure? Because the hub of intuitive eating is satisfaction. So if we don't feel satisfied from our meals, then we're going to constantly be looking for more food, thinking about food. So we really want to feel satisfied. So I always talk about how do we round out a meal? So I personally really like to eat like a big salad for dinner a lot of the time. But I don't feel satisfied unless I have something sweet after. And if I always push that um, desire down, I would probably end up, you know, eventually really overeating or binging um, at a certain point along the way of really trying to white knuckle my way through that. So those are three things that I hope uh, make sense and are helpful is, is it sustainable? Is it flexible? And is it enjoyable? And I think through that lens, um, you can really start to incorporate some more nutrient dense foods, because we know that eating cupcakes and chips and cake every day isn't sustainable. Uh, and eventually won't really be all that enjoyable. Maybe after 24 hours, you're like, no, I'm really craving some broccoli and chicken. You know, yeah. when you've been able to kind of engage with all types of foods, it's not, you can feel the difference. And that's, I think, a really important piece in intuitive eating is what does my body need right now? But also, how is it going to make me feel down the road? So when I make a choice to eat, you know, something specific at night, I may want it like, oh, I could, I could eat mm -hmm. that or you could crave it. But is that actually going to make me feel great in an hour or two? So how do you, like, can you, can you talk to me a bit more about that concept of how do we figure out what do we want right now versus like how how is it going to make me feel? Does that make sense? So like yeah, a lot of people think, oh, intuitive eating is just craving, you know, satisfying your craving, which it is to mm. an extent, yeah. right? But it's also not just like eating anything you're craving because that's what you're craving. It's it there's there's a little like you actually use pr like thought processes in how you're deciding yes. on, on foods. Yes. I am so excited to share 20% off my favorite adaptogen blends with you. Research shows adaptogens can balance cortisol, combat fatigue, enhance focus, ease depression and anxiety and support proper hormone function. 
The more I researched this, the more I realized the easiest and best way to enjoy adaptogens is with superfood blends that can be added to water. I found Organifi and now I love it. Organifi has an amazing little thing called Red Juice that is a red berry antioxidant blend that has cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. Cordyceps boosts energy, immunity, and stamina. I drink it during every podcast recording now. And when I'm stressed out and not sleeping well, I take green juice mid-morning. And guys, I finish every day now with either gold or gold chocolate. So this is a mixture of reishi and calming adaptogens and turmeric. It's either, it's kind of like a hot chocolate or like a turmeric warm drink at the end of the night. You just mix it with warm water and it has helped me so much. It's way more effective than the sleepy tea I was drinking. So they're both the same drink, just different flavors, gold or gold chocolate. I love it. I've totally fallen in love with Organifi. All their superfood adaptogen blends are 100% certified organic. They have high quality ingredients. They are free of fillers and they taste really good while also providing a clinical and effective dose of adaptogens. You can support your body, energy, immunity, and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com forward slash wellfed. Our code wellfed will get you 20% off, which is a awesome discount. Organifi, so that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash well-fed. Go to that link. Use our code well-fed for 20% off. Yeah. So intuitive eating, you do, you know, you do use instinct um, or intuition. You do use rational thought and logic, and then there is some emotion attached to that. So um, I think too, like you said, Noah, like get curious about how foods make you feel. So which foods make you feel energized? Which foods make you feel sluggish? How do foods affect your mood? And that is really body respect or body knowledge. And it's really a learning experience. And I think the tough thing about intuitive eating is that, well, the tough thing and the really beautiful thing is that it's not prescriptive because diets are prescriptive. So now you have this autonomy and this exploration to figure out what foods do make you feel good, not what foods you think you should be eating. Um, And so when we take away all the rules, we have so many options and that can feel overwhelming. So I think really focusing on how you want to feel. And if you say overeat at one point in time, you can think about, well, maybe I didn't eat enough throughout the day. Or if something gave you a stomach ache, that's information. The difference in intuitive eating or competent eating is that there is no guilt or shame involved in this type of eating. And that's the thing that keeps people out of falling back into binge eating and restriction and disordered eating. So every eating experience is a chance to learn something. And so I would love to say, well, we do X, Y, and Z, and then that's how you're going to know. And because intuitive eating is so individual for each person, and my version of food freedom will look different than your version. And there's allergies and food intolerances and health conditions that we take into account for each individual person. Um, which makes it this really liberating piece, but can also um, feel challenging at first. So I think it's really just getting curious about your eating patterns and rhythms and likes and dislikes and pairing that with what makes you feel good and gives you energy and supports your workouts and recovery and also including pleasurable foods too. So it's not this perfect recipe, but I think over time you do build this bank of body knowledge and that really just does take self-compassion and curiosity and time and repetition. Mm. I think one of the biggest lies of the dieting world is that perfection is required. And that I feel like that plays into, well, that really, you know, plays to some of our Mm -hmm. desires as perfectionists or, you know, that you can kind of see that and influence specific people in a certain way. But I love that food freedom and intuitive eating and this idea that you don't need to diet. It's really your worth is not actually tied to how how good you can follow a diet, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Like there is no such thing as perfect eating. And I'm sure we've all seen those quotes on Instagram, but it is true. And it yeah, it takes time to really understand that and figure out what that looks like for you. And just realizing that it it's what you can do over a long period of time, not just for the next 30 days. Because I always say, 
well, what's the plan after the 30 days? You know, like what, what are we going to do on day 60 if we're doing a 30 day detox? And so that's just like some food for thought to think about is like, what's the end game here? Mm, I love that. What is the difference between mental restriction when it comes to foods and physical restriction? Because I feel like some people may actually still be experiencing one or both. Um, so can you talk mm-hmm. about the difference between those? Yeah, absolutely. So restriction of any kind, whether it's physical or mental, can be a big reason why people are still binging and overeating. Of course, there's lots of people that can also have some past trauma, and that's also how they're coping. But at the end of the day, I really think that restriction needs to be addressed as well. And so physical restriction is where you're physically not eating enough food. So your body is underfed. And for a lot of people that can also be paired with overexercising. So that's physical restriction, physically not um, consuming enough calories. And then mental restriction is where you might be eating enough food and maybe you've kind of worked on healing your relationship with food. So you're eating more, you're incorporating more variety and that's amazing. And we want to really pause and, you know, congratulate that and celebrate that. But there could potentially be a lot of guilt and shame and stress and worry about what you're eating and how much you're eating still. So that mental restriction, and some people call it emotional restriction, is still very much present. And that can keep people in this guilt or shame cycle with food, which then can make it a lot more tempting to kind of spiral back into that restriction and then find themselves, you know, binging. Um, So we really do want to address physical, of course, because we want to make sure we're fed enough but also that mental restriction piece um, to really just feel at ease and relaxed about what you're eating so that you can really enjoy what you're eating and be present and then move on with your day because there's lots of other things to give our energy to besides just calories and fat and sugar and carbs and protein. Mm. One of the biggest questions and I think concerns that people have is with food freedom and letting go of dieting, I, my body, I won't be able to maintain a quote unquote healthy weight. So Mm -hmm. how does one, how does somebody know what their healthy weight is and how might that be different from what diet culture says? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think too, there's a lot of unrealistic body and beauty ideals that kind of circulate around every decade. And I think too, one of the most important and hardest things can be is to really cooperate and respect your here and now body, whatever that looks like, whatever weight that is. And also, um, there's this healthy set point range that's not static and that can range anywhere from 10 to 20 pounds, depending on many factors. And this is where our bodies feel healthiest and our bodies are able to support this optimal physical and mental function so we can live these really full active, healthy lives where we're not constantly uh, micromanaging food and exercise to maintain this weight that we might think we should be because we've learned through diet culture and society that, you know, we should be smaller, we should be shrinking. And that's just not true. Um, Because when you push your body out of this natural set point range, regardless of your size, because body diversity is a real thing, we can all accept that we're all different heights. And that's just this well accepted fact. But for some reason, we have a hard time accepting that diversity and weight and shape and size are a thing. So that's just something to note too. But when we try to push against this natural set point range that our body wants to be in, these survival mechanisms kick in. And it does things like slowing down our metabolism to conserve energy, um, increases the drive to eat. And those are really just protective mechanisms because the body's perceiving that as starvation. So how does somebody know that they're in that healthy weight range for them? I think a few ideas is to also track your health markers. So have other measures of success. So at what weight range are you able to move your body regularly, incorporate rest, manage stress, enjoy food, and have this uh, zest for life where you're not just surviving, but you're thriving. So really notice your energy levels and your mood and your sleep quality and digestion. And is your cycle regular? And at what weight range are all of those things falling into place? Um, Because we don't really want these big drastic dips and then peaks in our weight, because oftentimes that's associated with yo-yo dieting. And that's also really hard on our body too. So 
I think just looking at other health markers too. And if, you know, if weight is like a really big thing for somebody, I think even maybe just looking at body composition can be something that's a little bit of a shift um, outside of just this number on the scale. If that's something that somebody's like really uh, stuck on, but also these other health markers too. Yeah. It's so interesting that our culture has really made most people still to this day think that health is a weight or health is a number. And Mm -hmm. the truth is you can be healthy at a variety of weights, but also you can be unhealthy at a variety of weights. So just because your body is thin doesn't actually mean that your other biomarkers of health will actually show that you are healthy. Um, And so we have to really look at ourselves as this like whole comprehensive person, right? Which it's so, it seems sort of intuitive to us, but the majority of the people, majority of people out there do not, that's not how they assess health. They're not thinking about how is, how you know, how's your sleep? Are you managing stress? How, how, how are you feeling like mentally and emotionally? Are you, you know, where or do you feel you got like a lot of hormonal issues? Are you really, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just, is your digestion off? Um, and I think so many women have to, who have like fallen into this chronic dieting cycle, most women block that out. We try to ignore yeah. those signs and those symptoms. And so that's why I love this idea of being more intuitive with your body as a whole. Like you, we've totally tried, like as women, we've just stuffed those natural markers, those natural s- signs that are, hey, something's off here. And we take it as normal because, you know, we're quote unquote losing weight or we've got to keep up whatever we're doing to maintain our weight, even though everything else is saying, hey, something's wrong. This is not healthy. Like your your body's not responding well. So I I, I love that. I think um I think that concept, like shifting your idea around weight and quote unquote a healthy weight. Is, mm-hmm. is is absolutely foundational to improving your relationship with food and being able to have a more intuitive relationship with food. So Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So is it bad for someone to want to change their body or lose weight? Because this is another thing like, okay, I've chosen food freedom. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm you know, not going to do the dieting thing, but there's a lot of talk out there right now. And people are now kind of feeling ashamed for wanting to change their body and actually wanting to lose weight. So is that bad? And how do we navigate that while also still kind of factoring in quote unquote food freedom or intuitive eating? Yeah, it is interesting, I guess, just on the internet, that there's this really uh, big camp of diets and diet culture and all that. And then there's the you know opposite end of the spectrum where it's anti-diet. And I think it's tough on social media to really get, you know, include all the nuances and complexities of this stuff. But sometimes I think people do feel ashamed or like they're doing something wrong if they care about how they look or if they maybe have a goal to gain muscle or lose body fat. And I just want to say that um, you're never bad or wrong for wanting to do anything because that's really playing into that extreme thinking of diets, that all or nothing mentality. So I just want to say, no, you're not bad if you want to change your body or lose weight. Um, I'll just give you a personal anecdote. I have goals of putting on more lean muscle. I like that. I I love feeling strong. So um, I think it's important for me to say that, but you also know your body best and you are the expert of your body. And I think it can become difficult to have a really empowered relationship with food in your body if you're always tying your worth to a number on the scale. So I think that the bigger question could be, why do you want to lose weight? And and really get like down to the root of the why. And then is it really necessary for your health? And at what cost? Does it cost you going out with friends for dinner, sharing a meal with someone you love? Are you now thinking about food 24-7 in order to lose weight and manipulate your body? These are things to consider and think about, which is why I'll like tie it back to the other, you know, health markers of success 
besides weight loss. Um, so if weight loss is your goal, can we also look at some other things like having a regular appetite? That's a sign of a healthy metabolism, mm. stable energy, mood, digestion, all of those things. Um, and I guess like a comparison would be for me in my business is that society would praise, you know, financial success, number of clients I'm working with, even follows followers of Instagram. Those are those like, I think pressures from society and those tangible things that outsiders would be like, Oh, yeah, you're doing really good. And I would tie that to weight loss. And then the things that are more internal and maybe not tangible um, would be the health markers, like my relationships with my clients, and how I feel and I show up in my business and the peers that I build relationships with and learning and educating more and seeing that that stuff really works. And those would be the health markers like energy and mood and appetite. So um, I don't think there's anything wrong inherently with wanting to change your body. I think there's so much pressure out there that it makes sense that we just we really just want to belong. And I also think it's important to think about at what cost and is it really necessary for your health? Yeah. Okay. I have some questions from the community. These are really great. Okay. I'm excited to get into them. So this is from Jana. She says, how do you eat healthy without dieting? I know we just kind of touched on this, but I think this is, mm -hmm. um, it's going to kind of be able to, I like to reinforce and, and, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. give, give a little bit more actionable <laughs> tips with the questions, but how do we eat yeah. healthy without dieting and how do we enjoy food without eating anything and everything you want? Okay, I'll address the second part first. So how to enjoy food without eating anything and everything. So I would say that first, we have to address restriction. That's key. Because if you feel like you're going to feel out of control around food, um, the second you loosen the reins, then there's probably restriction uh, still very much present. And that can take it. Honestly, it varies in the amount of time that it can take for somebody to kind of work through that restriction. Uh, I don't like to give a timeline because I think that people feel like they're failing or falling short. You can't fail at eating. So when restriction is present, overeating or binging will usually occur on some level. And so once that's addressed, then you will likely notice that your appetite and your obsession with food starts to stabilize and appetite comes back to baseline and food can still be exciting and other times boring and just fuel but it's not this all-consuming feeling around food anymore because you actually do have full permission to eat it and you know that you can have more later. And you'll start to realize that you can keep your favorite foods in the house without thinking about them 24-7 and feeling like, screw it, I just need to eat all of it right now. Mm. So it's normal if you spent years dieting for that pendulum to swing where we do eat a lot. And it's actually necessary to heal your relationship with food to have that pendulum swing for most people. Um, because then eventually you kind of come back into that gray area where you are incorporating nutrient dense foods, you can have goals, um, you know, fitness goals or performance goals without it becoming this extreme thing where you're either passing or you're failing. And then I think to how to eat healthy without dieting, again, is your version of eating healthy. So what does that look like? Because that's different for everybody. Um, and then is it sustainable? Is it flexible? Is it enjoyable? Um, we love flexible structure in the work that I do. Uh, what I don't love is rigid structure. So you can eat healthy without dieting and still meal prep or food prep, or really think about balancing your blood sugar. I those are things that I like to do. And Instead of it being rooted in um, weight loss, it's, it is really rooted in health. And so I think using the filter of sustainability, flexibility, is it enjoyable? And just having a couple things in place that give you some flexible structure that allow you to intuitively eat during the week is really supportive. Yeah, I love that. The example that I always give is when I was doing strict paleo, it I was still very much had a very restrictive mentality. And mm -hmm. this was like early on kind of before I this is like way back in the day, like right before I even started a business or a podcast, more like 2008, 2010. And, mm -hmm. you know, you were allowed to have it was amazing to me that you were allowed to eat fats. But I still had sort of this restricted, restrictive mentality where I didn't want to eat too much. So I would have almond butter in the house 
But I was too, you know, we get told by diet culture, like nut butter is too many calories. Like you need to make sure that you measure it out with a tablespoon or whatever. So don't eat it out of the jar. So, you know, I would have almond butter in the house, which, by the way, is kind of like chalky and not all that great when you're eating it in like this large <laughs> amount. Guys, if you like almond butter, yeah. great. To me, I don't really want it. In fact, I really haven't opened Fair. a jar in years. So, but to me, that that was like the thing. It was like, oh, almond butter. So I would like, I would allow it a little bit, but at the end of the day, if I had been, you know, of course, because I was living still with this restrictive mentality, mm-hmm. I would binge on on almond butter or overeat. You know, I would eat like a fourth cup both. or whatever. Yeah, it's just like crazy yeah. amounts of almond butter. And then I wouldn't feel yeah. good. And I'd be like, oh, I need more willpower, right? We tell us our, ourselves yes. we need more willpower. Whereas when I really started changing my perception, which is instead of living with don't eat, don't eat these things, don't eat too much, everything in moderation, Mm -hmm. then flipping the script and saying, Noelle, you can have whatever you want, how much you want of whatever you want. Now choose. Do you want a fourth a cup or, you know, half a jar of almond butter? And now, of course, I'm like, I don't even want a little bit of it, but it, it radically changed how I interact with food. And I actually figured out a lot of these foods that I thought, oh, I'm just going to overeat these. These are so bad. I didn't even like in the first place. <laughs> so it's, oh, it's, same. it's a very interesting switch. And so many people think, oh, well, now you're just going to eat, you know, nut butter all day, every day. Congratulations. Like that's, that's the life you're going to have now. And it's just not true when you, when you're able to say, you can eat whatever you want. So how do you want to feel? And what does your body need right now? It's, it's a really empowering um, shift that allows you then to to take all of those things into account, not just calories or what diet culture says about food. Blue Blocks, which makes the best blue light blocking computer glasses, sleep plus glasses, and red and yellow light bulbs on the market, has just launched a line of anti-radiation earphones, laptop mat, and harmonizing stickers. Yes, these are high-quality EMF blocking products that block up to 99% of EMFs or electromagnetic fields. So electromagnetic fields are invisible areas of energy, also known as radiation, that are produced by electricity, specifically power lines, Wi-Fi, electronic devices, etc. Now here's the deal. Yes, There still needs to be more research done on the long-term effects of EMF exposure, especially over time. However, some people like myself find that they are very sensitive to EMFs in the home. For example, we started getting more and more Bluetooth items in our home, but as our home got smarter, I was getting more and more headaches and feeling more and more stimulated and was like having problems sleeping and I just couldn't pinpoint what was going on. So we stopped using Bluetooth light bulbs and appliances. I gave up my AirPods, which was very hard for me to do, but I saw a direct correlation with how long I was wearing my AirPods and headaches and brain fog. And we started turning off the Wi-Fi at night, which really helped. For me, it's it's helped tremendously. And now I block EMFs as much as possible with Blue Blocks air tubes, their laptop mat, which I have under my computer right now. And I have tried so many EMF blocking products before Blue Blocks, just like I tried a lot of Blue Blocks, like Blue Blocking glasses. And in terms of quality and effectiveness, Blue Blocks is where it's at. It is worth it to make an investment and make it once and to know that it's actually working. So I recommend everybody go get a laptop pad, especially. Air tubes are really important. The harmonizing stickers are important. It can really make a difference. Our link is blueblocks.com slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed for 15% off, which is actually a really, really good deal. Do one big order. Get yourself some blue blocking glasses and also get, you know, a laptop pad and some air tubes. And maybe some red light bulbs for your nightstand like we have. Again, that's Blue Blocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com forward slash well fed. Our code is well fed for 15% off. Yeah, absolutely. I guess one other piece that I do want to say is because you reminded me of it when you were saying, oh, I ate a bunch of almond butter. Now I I just need more willpower. And Mm -hmm. 
that's that tricky cycle where when we do experience maybe some overeating or binge like behaviors, we think that we need more willpower and more control. But I want to remind everybody that the binging or the overeating is actually this really healthy rebellion from your body, letting you know that the restriction is not working and the binging or the overeating is a symptom of restriction. It's a very normal response by your body, just like how your body downregulates your metabolism when you're not eating enough. So we can't go back to the same thing that's causing the symptom. We have to kind of heal that restriction. And then um, as a result, that binging usually kind of resolves itself. And maybe you need a little extra support with any past trauma or something like that that's also contributing to that. But uh, restriction definitely needs to be addressed. And the binging is a very normal response by your body um, from restriction. Okay, this one's from Annika. She says, how do you healthfully lose weight after a lifetime of practicing dieting behaviors? And how do you heal your metabolism? So metabolism is a big buzzword right now. Everybody wants to know mm-hmm. how to heal their metabolism, especially after years of, of under eating or chronic dieting. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, the metabolism piece is big right now. I see it all over Instagram, which is great. Um, I think the best things that somebody can do for their metabolism is eat more. If you feel like your metabolism is downregulated, eat more protein, incorporate resistance training, and some gentle movement like leisurely walking. I would also add as like a bonus, um, if, if you're somebody that likes working out and you're in the gym a lot, is to make sure that you're properly fueling around your workouts. This is especially important for women. Uh, So after our workouts as women, um, if you've done a hard workout, we have this really uh, optimal window of 30 to 45 minutes post-workout where it's really important that we're getting in roughly 25 to 30 grams of protein. I don't always love to be prescriptive, but this is kind of one of those exceptions to the rule. Um, And then pairing that with carbs. So really making sure that you are properly fueling around your workouts as well as eating enough food. So eating more and you can slowly titrate up your calories if you feel like you might be under eating uh, or you can kind of just do a bigger adjustment, whatever you feel comfortable and whatever feels doable. And then proteins are really big one because that helps with protein synthesis. So muscle building paired with that resistance training. So if we're putting stress on our body, we also need to have the proper fuel in order for our body to adapt. So if your metabolism is downregulated from dieting or overexercising, um, we really need to think about, okay, if I'm going to CrossFit five days a week and I'm only eating X number of calories, like what are some shifts I can make? Maybe it's pull back on the intensity, stick to some strength training, start titrating your calories in an upwards direction. And I think the timeline to get that metabolism back to baseline where your body feels really safe uh, will depend on how long your metabolism has been downregulated and how quickly you feel comfortable adding in more food. And then the first part was how to healthfully lose weight. Yes. Okay. Um, I think this one is tricky if you've spent your entire life um, practicing those diety behaviors. So again, I would, sorry to ask a question with a question, but I would ask you, is weight loss necessary for your health? Because we so often tie weight loss and health together But I think it's really important to kind of separate the two because we've been so conditioned to think that you can't have one without the other. And that's just not true. So is this something you feel like you have to do in order to belong or feel loved or desirable? And again, only you can answer that. And I would also just think about putting maybe more focus on how you want to feel and what are some health promoting behaviors that will align with how you want to feel. So if you want more energy during the day, but you're only getting five hours of sleep, can we go to bed one hour earlier? And honestly, if this even helps, that would help with cravings too. So just thinking about health promoting behaviors and then, um, yeah, metabolism, eating more resistance training, just making sure you're fueling around your workouts. Mm. I love resistance training. 
It's like I fall, back, I fall back in love with it every time I learn more about it. You know, I remember being really excited about it ten, a decade ago and 15 years ago. And now it's like I still have that experience when I just, you know, you do the research, you look yeah. at the research, you're like, this could heal the world. But, you know, it's, it's like <laughs> mental. So but like you look at all the benefits and you're like, wow, this is oh, it. And but, you it's know, amazing. it's just it's just nice to have that approach now with resistance training. It's not. You know, my relationship obviously is much different now, and I really enjoy that. So, okay. Um, This is from Andrea. She says, I'm struggling with getting sucked back into diet culture after testing with high thyroid antibodies. My doctor recommended reducing gluten and limiting adding added sugar to help reduce inflammation. I'm feeling like I'm getting sucked back into restriction and obsessing over what's in my food. Okay. So yeah, first, I just want to say sorry about the health issues that uh, you're dealing with. And the best advice I can give you um, without kind of going against what your doctor's saying or anything, because I definitely don't want to do that, is to communicate very clearly with your doctor about any potential history of disordered eating or eating disorders. Because if your mental health or your emotional health is being sacrificed, uh, by getting sucked back into diet mentality because of this new protocol, then I think it's something to talk to your doctor about. And hopefully they can help you just navigate this next chapter with you in a really supportive way. And then I guess on the other end of that is maybe have a plan. So if the cutting out gluten and lowering sugar is a four-week plan, for example, let's let's talk about what's after the four weeks. Like how are we... Um, how are you feeling supported after that too? Because if this doesn't feel like something you can do forever, then I think it's important to really communicate that with your doctor so that you do have some autonomy and confidence in how you're feeding yourself. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is an interesting, this is our last question. This is kind of a, okay. a bigger topic, but um, it's, it kind of plays on on what we just talked about before, which is, this is from Rini. She says, how do I find peace with food amidst food intolerances? I really don't relate to the diet culture side of things personally. And I know that's a huge topic. My journey is more about calming my nervous system to not be afraid of foods that have caused issues in the past. The restriction list was out of control. Previously, I was getting more and more scared of food and in tandem having less and less having less and less I could tolerate. So in other words, food restriction led to loss of tolerance with a lot of foods. I've had, Mm. I've, I have been practicing gut-based hypnotherapy and pain reprocessing therapy while introducing more foods back into my life. It seems to be going well. Some days are great and others are setbacks, but seems to be going in the right direction. The process seems to be a lonely road though. So I'd love for you to maybe discuss both um, perspectives. So if somebody has, because I see this a lot, you know, we, we have women who cons- are told, you know, or f- find out that a specific food, they're allergic to a specific food or a specific food is on causing them some of their symptoms as part of their intolerances. Can you, can you first talk to me about how do we get out of this mindset of, oh, I can't have gluten or, oh, I can't have strawberries. Like they're, they're making, they're causing my symptoms to flare but like doing that in a way that doesn't feel restrictive and makes us then only think about strawberries or only think about croissants or whatever we can't have because now it becomes, you know, this like food rule or restriction. Yeah, it's definitely tricky. And I definitely have foods that don't make me feel well. And how I've navigated that personally is kind of trying to reframe the intention behind uh, what I'm eating. So instead of thinking I'm not allowed to have that food, um, I'm choosing foods that make me feel good. And I think it's really great now because we do live in a world if you have access to, you know, a grocery store that has so many substitutes. So I think too, like embracing um, the substitutes and the flexibility that you can still create around the foods that do make you feel well and really reestablish eating as an enjoyable experience. And so if it's gluten that bothers you, I think really um, embrace all of the substitutes like gluten-free bread and waffles and bagels and all the things. And 
really try to put your focus on what you can have um, instead of all the things that you can't have. And you are the expert of your body. And I think there's so many layers to food and allergies and intolerances that can really make it hard to build trust in our body because I think so often those really create a disconnection or a distrust. Um, so I think too, it might be helpful to have support of a trained professional to kind of help you navigate. And hopefully this trained professional um, is well-versed in maybe intuitive eating and disordered eating and also food intolerances as well. So you feel really supported. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So what about Rini's question, which is like, I feel fear around food because of how they make me feel not necessarily, Oh, this food's going to make me not be healthy anymore, but like this food's actually going to make me not feel well, which I I can relate to this. I think a lot of women can, you know, we don't want to have a digestive episode, you know, it's not fun, you know, especially when we're traveling or whatever. Is there a way to kind of reprocess or how how do we deal with, which I would consider to be sort of like maybe trauma with a little T, you know, how do we deal with this, this, like these traumatic experiences with food and have less fear around them? Yeah, I think too, like if it's not an actual, you know, real allergy, like celiac disease or something, um, if it's a little bit of a sensitivity, sometimes if we know like, okay, I'm going into this and I am consciously choosing to have a little bit of this food and I I know the potential outcome, um, that can be just like this very conscious decision that you are kind of making with yourself and your body. Um, and also sometimes we can have some supportive things like digestive enzymes, for example, or drinking some warm lemon water before a meal, like what are some tangible kind of tools that can help you feel your best if you do want to participate in eating a little bit of that food. And also too, like if you're eating out at restaurants, majority of the time restaurants are really great at accommodating food intolerances. So don't be afraid and don't feel like you're a burden to really let the server know, hey, I can't have these things because they don't make me feel well. What are some substitutes? Like I'll do that sometimes. Like instead of feeling like you get this dish that has nothing on it, what are some things I can add to the dish instead? And I know sometimes that comes at a cost. So there has to be that financial stability there. But really thinking about some things that will help you through like these food fears that are physically causing you maybe some discomfort. And Sometimes I go into a weekend going, you know what, I just really want that thing that doesn't make me feel great. But like, I know that and I'm making that conscious decision. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to deal with the outcome. And that's just my reality sometimes. And I think that's a lot of our reality if we've spent a lot of time uh, restricting food, because then we do tolerate it less. And so even just slowly, maybe trying to reintroduce some of these foods and just slowly see how you feel. Because sometimes we've convinced ourselves that we don't feel well either. And I'm not saying that it's all in your head or anything like that, but um, sometimes it is really this like mental game too around food. Yeah, totally. And I mean, if you're super stressed out when you're eating a food, it's not, you're not going to digest it well. Yeah. It is going to cause you more issues. I've, you know, had that happen time and time again. I love the idea with food intolerances because this is kind of the world that I live in. I'm very sensitive to dairy. It's something that I, fairly certain it's lactose intolerance, but as young as like grade school, I've always struggled with like how milk or dairy-based products impact me. And now I've gotten to the point where I can have cheese and stuff like that, but I don't go around. I've never had this feeling of, oh, I wish I could have milk or I wish I could have ice cream. And that's really because we're so blessed now with all of these alternatives. But I also don't look at it like I can't have it. I know that I can have it if I want it. And I'm not a bad person if I do end up eating it, even if I do, quote unquote, crack, you know, or whatever. And I engage with this certain food. It just it doesn't. I the, the only truth that is involved here is that food doesn't make me feel great. Other than that, it's just a food and it doesn't have any power. So I can move forward with saying oh, I want some ice cream. Like I'm going to go find some coconut milk ice cream, which we have plenty in the in the freezer. Or yeah. if I want, you know, some yogurt, there's tons of coconut milk based yogurt. So 
It's great to embrace those alternatives, not from a perspective of, oh, these alternatives are healthier or, oh, like it just view Mm -hmm. it as these alternatives make me feel better so that when I am craving something or when, you know, I want some ice cream, like I can engage with that joyfully and like, man, they do a really good job now of making these alternatives with alternative milks and stuff. So pretty much for anything that you may have a sensitivity to there's always some sort of alternative and we and i love the idea that you said alicia which is just like thinking about all the stuff that you can include and trying to find Mm -hmm. joy in new things so we really as a culture eat a very small amount of foods on a daily basis a lot of us get stuck into our ruts of oh we like strawberries you know or oh we only eat an orange and so being able to say okay well maybe i have a sensitivity or strawberries are causing me issues they're on my they're on my food list that's that's causing reactions so what else can i include that i kind of have not been thinking about whether it's other fruits or avocado or other vegetables or whatever that i can now incorporate into my meals and that are going to satisfy me in a new way in a that i enjoy you know um yeah so Absolutely. I love that. Okay, Alicia, what um what are you doing now and where can people find more about you? Yeah, so I'm working one-on-one with women who want to have a more empowered and enjoyable relationship with food, fitness, and their bodies. And I work with them for five months and we have 10 sessions together and it's all online. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world. And uh, the program is called Nourish, Move, Thrive. And you can get in contact with me. I definitely hang out on Instagram the most. So I'm at Alicia May Connors. My website is wellnesswithalicia.com. My podcast is Wellness with Alicia. And my email is info at wellnesswithalicia.com. But honestly, you could just send me a DM on Instagram. And that's probably the fastest way you'd hear back from me. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here, Alicia. I loved um, getting to chat with you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. And my favorite apples are Fuji. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you, you remember the question, but also wrong answer. Okay. Wrong answer. <laughs> right, but wrong. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Alicia. For more from Alicia, go to wellnesswithalicia.com. She does have a podcast. We'll link to everything in the show notes. You can go to the show notes by going to coconutsandcuddleballs.com, clicking podcast at the top, and then you can say explore all episodes and all the show notes from each episode are there. Um, All right. Thanks, guys, for being here. I will talk to you next week.